0: For those of us who spent their childhood in the nineties, you probably at one point or another had aspirations of growing up to be a marine biologist. Whether that be from your whale trainer Barbie, a visit to an aquarium, Jacques Cousteau, or even Kevin Costner. Whatever the inspiration, chances are you aren't living your life under the sea with the Castle Little Mermaid right now. But for those of you who wish to connect to your childhood and get a little glimpse of what that great big ocean is home to, then you've come to the right place. Hi I'm Deidre, a zookeeper of 10 years and your educational host of this podcast, Weird Animal Facts Explicit. And even though we'll be talking about your forgotten childhood dreams, this podcast is not for kids. Just because we talk about animals, doesn't make it a kid's show. Adults can like animals too. And this podcast is dedicated to those animals who secretly wish that their kid would ask all those stupid and so-called embarrassing questions that you're too ashamed to ask for yourself. Like, what's the deal with sea cucumbers? Are they food? Are they a sex toy? Sea cucumbers are a different episode, by the way, and hopefully your kids aren't asking about sea cucumbers and sex toys. Anyways, today though, we are going to shine a bioluminescent light on two other animals of the waters that you have most definitely had a curiosity about. Stargazers and pufferfish. And yes, these are both fish, so strap on your flippers, goggles, and snorkel as it's time to dive on in. Stargazers. No, this is not just you and your high school hottie on a date lying in the back of a pickup truck in the middle of a field at midnight pretending to be interested in the constellations but really wishing for some boob action and frenching. No. A stargazer is in fact a fish. It's a weird-ass fish, but it's still a fish. For you 80s babies out there, imagine the underwater demonic doppelganger of Beaker from the Muppets. And I say demonic because... Alright, well, let's go ahead and describe the Stargazer in a bit more detail. Hidden underneath a thin layer of sand at the ocean floor, lies a creature only Tim Burton himself could imagine up. With two bulgy eyes placed on top of his head, just peering out from beneath the sand where it hides its wide, round, teardrop-shaped body, waiting patiently for its food to swim over top. Appearing to always be in a bad mood, the Stargazer could easily give Grumpy Cat a run for its money, because just below, those on top of that eyes, is a long wide mouth that is filled with what looks to be sharp daggers like teeth, only they aren't teeth at all. <laughs> Ranging anywhere from 8 to 20 inches, this wide gaping mouthed creature should be lurking underneath every merchild's childs bed, haunting them in their nightmares while well, the fear that they, just like the Stargazer's next meal, will be vacuumed into the empty void that is this monstrous fish's mouth! Before we get too deep into the mouth of the Stargazer, I should clear up something as I'm sure there are a few of you out there who is thinking that the Stargazer is the same fish from Finding Nemo. You know, that one that's shaped like a pancake, lies on side under the sand, with both of his eyes on one side of his body? Well, sorry, but that's not the same fish we're talking about here. Nor are they monkfish, which look very similar, but the stargazer is not a flounder or a monkfish. In fact, they're all different. There are so many fish! How do you keep them all straight? Easy. With taxonomy classification. Kingdom, phylum, class. This order family genus species That flat pancake like fish that you might be thinking of from Finding Nemo is called a flounder. Not to be confused with Flounder from the little mermaid who isn't a flounder even though his name is Flounder. Anyways, the stargazer, flat flounder and monkfish are actually all in the same class. But I mean that's not really saying a whole lot considering that like half of all known vertebrates are also in this class. And that class is called Actinope, actinope, Actinop... actinopterygi. Act actinope, act actinopterygi. Actinoptery... Who cares? They're all in the same class, and that's the class. Actinopterygi. From there, these three fishes verge. So the stargazer, flounder, and monkfish are no more similar than you are to an armadillo or a chipmunk. Or they are to each other but to help you tell the difference just look at how their bodies are shaped the flounder from Finding Nemo is literally flat while the stargazer that we're talking about today is a round chunky teardrop shaped grumpy looking fish from your nightmares which could be true for the monkfish too but the monkfish looks more like a combination of the stargazer flounder and anglerfish so not the same thing we're talking about now we're talking about the stargazer and when it does come to the stargazer fish you know that fish that we are actually talking about today? We humans don't have too much to worry about. I mean, you should worry as there, there is a species in the Mediterranean that has killed a few people before. Um, But you should be fine as long as you just avoid the ocean at all costs. Wait, how does this fish that's less than two feet long kill a man or woman. I'm not sexist. I mean, I thought you said those sharp pointy things in their mouths weren't teeth. Well they aren't, but that's not what you should be worried about. As a fish, the stargazer has some of those common fish features such as gills and fins. And just above those pectoral fins, located on the gill's covers, are spines. And guess what those spines are equipped with? Venom! And there are plenty of texts out there that will tell you that the stargazer's venom won't kill you. But then again, it can be very painful and even induce shock. So, from this animal expert to you, I'd like to advise you not to fuck with it! And I say this because this fish isn't going to hunt you down, after all. They only use their venom spikes for protection. They don't want to get eaten, so Whether it's a stupid snorkeler like you, or a hungry sea critter hoping for a quick meal, either way, that predator is going to swim away in a lot of pain, but it would have learned a very valuable lesson. Time to learn. And if you're still worried about accidentally stepping on one of these guys while they are secretly hidden, don't worry because it's not like they live everywhere. (laughs) No! Just in nearly every ocean! (laughs) Anyways, let's get back to the weirdness of this fish. There are close to 50 species of stargazers. And not all of them are venomous. So, I mean, that should make you feel a little better. And some of them even have another special feature! ELECTRICITY!!! But the reason for this electricity is a mystery. I mean, who knows? Normally, when a creature produces electricity, it's to either stun its prey or to reanimate the dead. It's alive! Ah. Like Frankenstein. Get it? Anyways, but unlike electric eels who produce up to 600 volts to do just that, the stargazer only produces 50 volts. <laughs> So then why produce electricity at all? There is a thought that perhaps it's to scare away a predator. But the thing is, stargazers don't just produce electricity when the bad guys are around. It's also when they pop out of the sand to eat an unsuspecting critter. Why are they shooting out zaps during dinner? My thought is perhaps that they have evolution to think. Maybe long ago stargazers had a stronger zap. but. If you'll remember from the shark episode 31, we learned about the shark's sixth sense of them sensing electrical currents. What if, so not to be as well spotted by the sharks, their zapping diminished over the generations? Again, and again, I should point out that this is just uh, me guessing. I have no idea why it's like that, and neither does anybody else. Uh, I mean, I'm not an evolutionary biologist. Go ask one of them if you want details. But what I do know is that animals evolved to survive. We don't know when stargazers got their venom spikes, spine, excuse me, nor do we know how big and powerful the stargazers once were. But what we do know from fossil records is that at least one of them from over 7.5 million years ago had a brain worm that filled its brain cavity with shit. Yay, go science! Because that's important shit to know about. But that's the thing about the great, big, deep, scary ocean. We don't know much about it. And it's the unknown that makes it scary. But we do know some. Like, the electricity that the stargazer produces is created via modified eye muscles, while most other fish will use specialized electroreceptors. We also know that while a stargazer is hiding under the sand, it has more adaptions to help keep them hidden. Not only does their colorization help, but they also have the little fins that help them dig perfectly under the sand. Their eyes on top of the head that look straight up, they can move independently and little at a time, so it'll look like a tasty treat for a smaller critter. Some of them, where those so-called teeth are, which aren't really teeth, actually kind of look like food pieces for the critters to swim into. Also, it helps to keep the sand out of their mouth, because that's disgusting. Although, one of the main things that helps them keep hidden from their prey is kind of similar to, like, horror movies in a way. Very similar, but hear me out. Alright, think about if you were in a horror movie and had to run away from the killer. And then you're running away, running away, then finally you find somewhere to hide, and it looks safe. So you go underneath the bed, because that's what's the safest thing is in a horror movie. You've just been running, though, so you're breathing real hard. So what do you do? You have to cover your mouth and hold your breath, You keep from panting like a dog on a hot summer's day so the killer won't find you. Same thing with the stargazer. Only they are the killer, not hiding from the killer, because they are the killer. First they breathe through their nose, not their mouth, which is weird in multiple accounts. As most fish will actually breathe through their mouths, and the fact that some stargazers will actually sit underneath the sand with only their eyes and mouth above with both open, why don't they just breathe through their mouths? The reason why is because what comes in through a fish's mouth, or nose, goes out their gills. Just like you don't want your panting breath to give away your location to that murderer, the stargazer doesn't want its prey to sense it. Meaning, the more water they take in through their mouth, the more they gotta let out through their gills. In addition, their gills are fringed like the edge of an owl's wings feather, so to muffle the sound of their breathing so that little critters don't know what's got them until it's too late. I mean, if they even get a chance to figure out what's going on before, gulp, death. Speaking of death, it's time to kill my literary soul in scientific names are hard. This is the part of the show where I asked my roommate, Emily to run in a sheet of paper, the scientific names of animals and I attempt to read them. And as you heard earlier, as I tried to read the class, it's gonna be great! Here are two random species of stargazers. First, we have the Atlantic stargazer. Uranoscopus scabber. Uranoscopus scabber. That wasn't so hard. Next, we have the giant stargazer. Cathotostoma? Cathotostoma Gigantium, Cathotostoma Gigantium. Okay, I think I'm getting good at this. Like, maybe I'm learning how to read all of a sudden. <laughs> this is going great. It's the transition song From going to one topic to the next It's the transition song So that we have no awkward silence Pufferfish, the beach balls of the sea. Well, technically an actual beach ball is already sea related. Plus, unless you're a dolphin or an otter, you aren't going to be playing with a pufferfish, so... All right, let me me retry that. Pufferfish, the only inflating fish. I don't know if inflating is correct. Fun fact, it isn't known if dolphins actually get high off of pufferfish, which is something I've toyed at in the past. Because dolphins are such devils, they're so-called Intoxicated behavior that has been observed after they have been seen poking at a pufferfish, or a puffed up pufferfish, I should say, that behavior is similar to normal dolphin douchebaggery. So maybe they're just high on life. Or maybe they actually are high. Pufferfish, a fish that has made many a guest appearances on The Little Mermaid, Finding Nemo, and I also think that Pudge the Fish from Lilo and Stitch might be a pufferfish, but I don't know for sure. But nonetheless, a pufferfish is a fish that most people have heard of. And if you haven't, have no fear as you've got your pal Deidre here to help you to understand the ways and appearances of a puffer. Of a pufferfish. There are over 100 species of pufferfish in the entire world. And they come in all different sizes. From only an inch long to over two feet long. And get this, pufferfish aren't always puffed. When they aren't that beach ball image we all associate with the pufferfish, they're actually pretty ordinary looking fish. I mean, no, no, I take that back because they're actually way cuter. Take the porcupine pufferfish, for example, when not inflated or when not puffed up and in a normal pufferfish form, when viewed from the front, they look like a cute, adorable, spotted anime version of a fish. They got large puppy dog eyes, a tiny slit for a mouth, and cute black polka dots covering its entire adorable tiny little body. And what's even cuter is if fish understood and had the capability to smile, it would look like they had two sets of adorable beaver-like teeth. A pair on the top jaw and the lower. However, though, (laughs) these aren't technically teeth, nor do we know if fish can smile or if they can recognize a smile in the same form as we do. Before we get too philosophical on the happiness of a pufferfish, let's explain these weird teeth-like things on the porcupine puffer. I mean, it may look like the fish has lips with teeth hidden underneath, but those are actually just a beak. Yep, just like a turtle or a bird have a beak, so does this fish. Fun fact, those beaks are made out of keratin. You know, just like your teeth. So I guess you can call them teeth if you want. And, to add to the puffer's overall cuteness, they are also very awkward swimmers. You know that friend of yours who is... clumsy? Well, imagine the aquatic version of that. Only I'm guessing your friend is clumsy from playing hooky one too many times during PE and really never got to learn about coordination and uh, isn't clumsy because they don't have ribs or a pelvic. What? This fish doesn't have ribs or a pelvic? Do they have bones? Are they invertebrates? Oh, they have bones and are most certainly a vertebrate, with a backbone, FYI. But the reason for not having ribs or pelvic has to do with their defense. And if you haven't figured it out already by the name or what we've already talked about, let me give you a hint, or just tell you. They blow up! These fish are small, they're cute, they're tiny! There's a reason why people like to eat mini muffins. Is because they're so gosh darn cute and bite size Pufferfish are just too cute for predators to pass by, and as an animal with a life of their own who doesn't want to get eaten, you can bet your ass that fish is gonna do whatever it can to survive. So if that means evolving away ribs and a pelvic bone so to better allow its body to blow up, great. I should mention that because the pufferfish lives in the water, when it blows up, it isn't filling up with air. It lives in the water. So how the hell could it fill up with air? It's water. They blow up with water. Like, duh. How does not having ribs or a pelvic help with their inflation? And what well, would it even be called inflation? Scientifically speaking, to inflate refers to filling something with air or gas, thereby making it inaccurate to say that a pufferfish inflates. Okay, so if a pufferfish isn't inflating, then what is it doing? They're they're just sucking in water. Pufferfish, when threatened, will begin to gulp in water. They suck in so much water that they will actually increase the size of their stomach 10 to 15 times larger than it originally was. Your ribs and pelvic are all connected to the rest of your body. In episode 36, we learned about the chuckwalla, a lizard that lives in the deserts of North America who will also puff up as a defense. Being that the chuckwalla are on land, they actually fill with air. But unlike the pufferfish, chuckwallas do have ribs and a pelvic bone. Mostly due to the fact that it would be pretty hard to survive the land life in the desert otherwise. Plus their environment, plus the predators they come across in the desert haven't given them a need to get rid of all those bones. As for the pufferfish, they live in the water. They can just float to get around. Plus, they puff up way larger than Chuckwalla could ever dream to. Going back to the porcupine pufferfish, they not only puff up, as you can guess, but they are also called a porcupine pufferfish for a reason. They have spines! Similar, but not at all the same as the stargazer, where the stargazer only has a couple of spines, the porcupine pufferfish has spines that cover their entire body. That when not big like a water balloon, you can actually hardly see. But just like when a hedgehog gets bigger, due to different anatomy reasons than our pufferfish friend, their spines become much more dangerous, which is also true for our pufferfish friend. Fun fact. When we think about fish, we think about them having scales. Well, not all fish have scales, and the pufferfish, instead of having those traditional scales, have spines. And if you really want to know how crazy weird pufferfish spines are, then go to our Instagram page at WAF Podcast to see the skeleton of one of these weirdos. It may very well blow your mind. Only is this pufferfish missing a few things, ribs, pelvic, scales. Well, it's also thought that their stomach might also not be able to uh, digest things as well as it once was. And all this is so this pufferfish can grow three times in size. And because the stomach isn't able to do all the digesting abilities as other fish stomachs could, that just means that this little fish's intestines gets to do all the work. Speaking of doing work, it actually takes a lot of work to eat one of these bad boys. But why the hell would you want to eat one? Oh right, because they're so cute! Not all pufferfish have the spines, like the porcupine pufferfish, so it could be easy to eat one of them, right? (laughs) And if someone was stupid enough, you know, like us humans, (laughs) to try and eat one, well you could easily die. Many people know that Japan has a luxury delicacy of food, and this item, this food item, is called Fuju. And whether or not you know it by its name, you have possibly heard that it does take a trained and licensed chef to cut, serve, and sell pufferfish as food. Why? Because it can fucking kill you! There's a reason why people assume dolphins are getting high off these fish. They are poisonous. Even their skin has this poison on it, so just licking one could possibly make you extremely sick. That's why only licensed professionals can prepare it. Many of us will go for the generic brand of food items just so we can save a few bucks, but in the world of eating pufferfish, I would strongly suggest forking over a little bit more money for the real deal. Because if you go with that unlicensed food you chef, you could literally die. One single pufferfish has enough poison to kill 30 grown adults. The only animals known to eat pufferfish, I mean, aside from us humans who do have to do a lot of prep work and, uh, you know, be an expert, are sharks. And they can eat that whole sucker. The pufferfish's poison is called tetrodotoxin. Tetrodotoxin. I think I'm saying that correctly. And it's so specialized to pufferfish that the toxin is actually named after their scientific name, which I will most definitely butcher as poorly as an unlicensed food chef. Scientific names are hard. Here is the scientific name for the porcupine puffer fish. Diodon holocanthus. Diodon holocanthus. Okay, next we have the tiger puffer fish, and I believe this is the one that um, they eat in Japan mostly, the tiger puffer fish. Tacky Fuju, there's that word, rubripes. Tacky Fuju, rubripes. Tetra-dux, and I just realized, is not in either of these words, <laughs> scientific words I just said, but I believe that is actually their family name. Please hold as I double check my facts. Aha! After being a good researcher, I have discovered, rediscovered, I have clarified that their order and family are what the poison's named after. Tetrodonatae, or for the order, tetrodonatiformis. As you can see, that is where the name of this Tetrodone toxin came from. From their family order, tetrodon, tetrodon. I don't know what that means. Probably means Pufferfish. <laughs> tetrodotoxin is one of the deadliest poisons in the world to humans, making it one of the most dangerous animals in the world. Uh, I mean, if you eat it. Who was the idiot daredevil to learn what part of the pufferfish was safe to eat? I mean, was it like some super evil villain who was determined to eat one of these things and forced his minions and prisoners to eat different sections of the pufferfish until they stopped dying? I mean, who does that? Humans are so messed up. But if you want to be one of those not-so-messed-up humans, you can do your part to help out the ocean, which is where these two animals call home. Although at this time neither of these fish are considered endangered, their waters are at risk every day. Overfishing and harvesting, pollution, dying of the coral reefs. And there's a very simple thing you can do to help protect wildlife and their home. Share what you have learned here with all of your friends. The more people who know about the wonderfully weird animals that we share this world with, the more people will want to help them. The weird and wacky traits and adaptations of every animal is what makes them special and worth saving. And together we can do just that. So let's save the ocean by simply talking about it. Because as we all learned from Ariel and Jack Cousteau, is that the ocean is a wonderful place worth saving. As for Waterworld and Kevin Costner, I don't know if I really learned anything from that movie aside from, uh, I don't know, don't fuck up the planet. (laughs) So let's do that. Not fuck it up. But you can still stay weird. (laughs) Please be weird. Bye.